from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Right, just keep working. There will be injuries. Just make sure it's not you. It's not just the beeps from the scanner. It's the, the, the whir of conveyor belts and robots and forklifts. And Kathy writes on Facebook, I don't use Amazon, period. It's not particularly good for human beings to, to work under those kinds of pressures. Something like 240 goods per hour. Uh, the industry standard for a similar facility was about 150 goods per hour. That is when the, these little Kiva robots bring the stacks to a single worker who stands on a, uh, an anti-fatigue mat. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last week, a tornado ripped through an Amazon warehouse in Edwardsville. It killed six workers. And as details have emerged about the events that evening, questions are focusing on Amazon's workplace policies and safety procedures. My guest today is an expert in the culture at warehouses like the one that was struck on December 10th. Jason Struna is an associate professor of anthropology and sociology at the University of Puget Sound. He wrote his dissertation about warehouses and distribution centers in Southern California, including Amazon's. And he joins us today. Jason Struna, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Jason, most of us don't think about distribution centers like the one struck by a tornado last week until something like a tornado happens. You suggest we're ignoring a huge piece of the global economy. Just how critical are these warehouses and distribution centers? Uh, if you think about it, everything that's around us, if, if you look around you uh, right now, it was handled by a warehouse worker in a distribution center or fulfillment center or a delivery center. Um, and frankly, in, in frequently uh, by many different kinds of, of facilities like that. So uh, it's, it's labor that's hidden in plain, excuse me, in plain sight. Um, it, it's crucial to almost all economic functions in, in the U.S. And, and globally. So you're saying basically everything around me as I'm sitting here in the studio at one point came through one of these warehouses or distribution centers. Is our reliance on them to, to get goods to people, is that something that's new? I don't think it's particularly new. We've always stored and moved goods. Um, I, if, if you look at the history of goods movement in the U.S., uh, I, I think you start seeing manuals for goods movement in about the 1950s. Mm. Um, so it, it, it is something that, that we know how to do and have done for, uh, you know, as long as we've had commodities. Um, but the ubiquity of the facilities, the large kinds of facilities um, that, that we have now, that that's becoming something that's that it is a, a technological revolution. So more and more things are coming through these massive distribution centers. A absolutely. And, and because of the complexity of, of production of, of different kinds of goods, think about a computer. Um, if it's assembled in the United States, but it's sourced from 30 countries, uh, you have to handle and centralize all those goods uh, in some way. And fre frequently it comes through a warehouse where a warehouse worker is going to do that final assembly and packaging. Uh, the, the bento box from Apple that we get uh, is, hand is assembled by a, a, a warehouse worker when we open that iPhone or that, that laptop. So you worked part-time at a warehouse for eight weeks. This was back in 2013. You also interviewed many workers there. What should we know about these warehouse jobs? Um, warehousing is a dangerous occupation uh, and for, for the laborers that are inside of them. Uh, it's fast-paced. It's dirty. 
Um, it is, uh, you know, frequently, uh, you're around dangerous machinery, you're around dangerous uh, uh, different kinds of goods, um, from chemicals to just the dust that's accumulated in a, a facility that handles cardboard. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it's, it's really, it's hectic work, it's fast-paced, um, and it's, it, there, there's kind of a mix of technologies. You know, in some places you, you have a, a manager yelling at you and handing you paper pick lists, and some facilities, like the one that I worked at, it was scanners that were doing the majority of direction. So Scanners, like how did that work? Well, in the facility that I worked in, we had arm-mounted scanners, and we would scan a particular object, and then that the scanner would tell us where to put where to put that object, or where uh, just just exactly where to put it in, lo in in location in the facility. So you would go from point A to point B, and the scanner would direct you or or discipline you if you didn't do it correctly. Right? Discipline so you, know you like the, the scanner would say, "Nope, nope, that's wrong." Yeah, it, it makes a different kind of beep when you've done the, the procedure incorrectly. So you, when you're trying to go to sleep at night, you have the different cacophony of, of beeps, uh, from correct beeps to incorrect beeps, um, just running through your head. Like, imagine a, a, a scanner at a, a, at a grocery store, right? The, the cashier has those sounds running through their head. Wow. So I can kind of, I, I hear this sound in my head right now. Would the scanner also make sure that you're keeping pace? Uh, was that something that was a feature of of the ones you looked at. So, so in a facility like Amazon, that's what's particularly uh, sophisticated is the ways that they track labor with these these scanners. So they know where you are in the facility. They know how fast you're working. Uh, they know if you're not working up to up to your quotas. Um, the quotas are exceedingly uh, uh, difficult to achieve. I was at 88% of my rate after a few weeks, and I was warned that at 88%, I was at risk of losing my job if I didn't uh, it didn't improve. Um, 88% was not good enough. And eight, that my 88% was over the, the industry standard um, from other kinds of facilities where we were s supposed to move something like 240 goods per hour. Uh, the industry standard for a similar facility was about 150 goods per hour. So we were already working over what uh, process engineers thought human beings could safely do in that amount of time. What was it like working under that level of pressure? I know this was just a side job for you, but did that get into your head? Uh, it, it does get into your head. Um, and, you know, I was raised to work, <laughs> um, so it, it was kind of a, a, a challenge. I mean, could I do it um, on the one hand? On the other hand, uh, it, uh, dealing with that kind of stress, um, you know, for just for eight weeks, for me, that's one thing. Uh, but if your livelihood depends on it, um, if, if, you're, if you're worried about making rate, you know, weekend and, and week out, uh, day in and day out for that matter, uh, the stresses are significant. Um, what did you learn about the other people at these warehouse jobs, people who weren't there researching their dissertation, but, but this was really their life? Who tends to take jobs like this? Now everybody takes jobs like this. Um, there was a, a range of, uh, of age groups um, at Amazon. Uh, they're, they're particularly good at hiring a diverse population, although in, in Southern California, at the majority of warehouses, 80% of the workers um, in, in uh, Southern California are Latino. Um, or, or Latina uh, workers, uh, the majority of which are uh, the majority of which are from Mexico. Um, but but in in some of these facilities, you know, you've seen the the, the uh, media reports about uh, folks who live in their RVs and older uh, folks, retirees that, that work in, in warehouses, uh, twenty year old uh, you know college students pick up shifts for part time labor. Um, some workers work in multiple warehouses. They'll they'll go from one facility through the temp agency uh, to another in a different temp 
temp agency just down the road. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a, a the, anybody you can imagine needing a job is going to be able to find a, a job at a warehouse and distribution center. So you had mentioned Amazon specifically there. Do you have a sense of how Amazon compares to other companies that are operating this type of distribution center, operating these types of warehouses? Yeah, um, in, in some way, I mean, they, they lead the market in sophistication. Um, they are, they offer, frankly, uh, benefits frequently for the warehouse workers. They don't offer benefits, from what I understand, uh, for the, the delivery drivers, uh, the majority of which are, are subcontracted. Um, my colleague, Jake Ali Mohammed Wilson, um, did work on, on delivery drivers, and uh, I'm sure he'd be happy to, to join you if you wanted to talk about that. Um, but, but those kinds of... Um, uh, those kinds of things that they do uh, are are just um, miles ahead of some of their competitors in terms of the ways that they set up their quotas, the ways that they set up their their uh, machinery. Automation is, is a major uh, factor with Amazon. They're they're uh, they're willing to take risks that other places didn't for years, and uh, it, it's paying off. Does that make it a better place to work, or in some ways a worse place to work? Sometimes it does make it a better place to work uh, in a facility where, you know, it's a million square foot facility. If you're walking through the stacks to pick all the products that you have to pick, uh, you could walk 12 miles a day. When you automate the stacks, that is when the, these little Kiva robots bring the stacks to a single worker who stands on a, uh, an anti-fatigue mat, um, they're doing the same amount of picking or more, frankly. Um, uh, they're doing the same amount of picking without walking 12 miles, hmm. right? So that can be better. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, it can be more stressful. You have to watch out for automated guided vehicles that, that are going through. You have to um, be aware of, of the different machinery. It's very, very loud in facilities like this. It's not just the beeps from the scanner. It's the, the, the whir of conveyor belts and robots and forklifts and any, any it, it, it's a very, very loud environment. And you really um, have to be on your toes, it sounds like, in this environment. Just the pace and just everything going on around you. If you're not paying attention, this, this could get dangerous fast. Absolutely. And, and when, you're, when you go through training, uh, they say there will be injuries. Just make sure it's not you. Um, in facilities like this. And, and you know, I, the, in, when you're unloading a truck that doesn't have any uh, sort of uh, stowage that, that keeps things from moving around, it's called a liquid load. When you open that truck door to, to get on, on the back of a dock, uh, you know, some of those loads can fall out, right? And we're talking about tens of thousands of, of packages in, in those cases. So it's not a, a minor uh, amount of, of physical risk that you face. So um, when we're, we're talking about physical risk, there's probably no greater physical risk than something like this tornado that hit in Edwardsville. And, you know, obviously this is, is kind of a freak of nature, uh, some would say. Some would say we can expect a lot more of these in the future. But what can you tell us in general about Amazon safety procedures? Procedures as it relates to things like this? Like, do they, they seem to have pretty good systems in place for that? You know, I can't really speak to, to tornadoes. I mean, we, we worried about earthquakes in California mm -hmm. at the facilities that, that I saw and the, the workers that I talked to. Um, you know, I, I would say... They're going to follow the letter of the law with stuff like that. Typically, they, they have an interest. Uh, they, they have a basic interest in protecting people from, from things like that. So I think probably, uh, you know, they're following the, the building codes. They have the, the shelters in place uh, in a place that faces tornadoes like that. The, the concern that I have is that if in, you're in a facility that's a million square feet, and it takes you five minutes to go from the back of that facility to the bathroom. And frankly, we know that the bathrooms were the tornado shelters in this mm -hmm. case. Um, it may take too long to get there to shelter. Um, and so, 
it, it really is the scale of the facility. It doesn't, you know, maybe they have enough for what the, the code says, but it may not be enough time to get people safe. And, that, you know, that's not necessarily the fault of the corporation. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point you brought this up. Uh, Kelly Nantel, who's a spokeswoman for Amazon, she sent us a statement that, that defends the company's work here. She says, quote, we're deeply saddened by the news that members of our Amazon family passed away as a result of the storm in Edwardsville. Our thoughts and prayers are with the victims, their loved ones, and everyone impacted by the tornado. We also want to thank all the first responders for their ongoing efforts on scene. We're continuing to provide support to our employees and partners in the area. Uh, Kelly was also quoted in a previous story done by one of our colleagues, Eric Schmid, and she had noted that, um, you know, 45 people survived and these people were all on the north side of the building, sort of sheltering. It sounds like in the bathrooms there. But for the six fatalities, these were people who were all on the south side of the building. And, and she told my colleague, those workers had only a few minutes to find shelter before the tornado hit. And we know that these tornado warnings were going off for about 20 minutes. Knowing what you know about warehouse culture, Jason, does it surprise you that people wouldn't have taken shelter earlier, that there wouldn't have been an order to immediately get into one of these bathrooms in light of the size of how big these warehouses are? Um, it, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, I, I, th I think the culture of producing through any uh, any event it is, is part of what is maybe the problem here, right? Just keep working. Um, we, we have 11 inch thick walls that are made of concrete. You're in a safe facility. Uh, the, the assumption that things will just go on and that we have to deliver and we have to get the goods to the customer. I think that's, that, that is part of the problem. Um, you know, in a facility like that, like I said, if, if it takes you five minutes to get to the bathroom and you only have 11 minutes of warning, which is what I've, I've seen some reports say, um, you know, that, that, that's not necessarily enough time to get to the proper shelter. Um, maybe folks were just coming in in their trucks. This is a different kind of facility than I'm used to. Uh, the delivery centers actually bring the trucks into the, uh, the, the vans that we see delivering at the last mile. Um, the, uh, those go those drive into the facility so it's some of it was sortation where they sort goods some of it was what the, the sort of garage kind of facility that we might call it um, so who knows what those workers on that south side uh, faced in terms of getting from point A to point B in, in a quick enough uh, quick enough manner we need to take a quick break but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with Jason this is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. We're talking today about the grueling work that goes on at warehouses and distribution centers like the Amazon one hit by a tornado just about a week and a half ago. My guest today is Jason Struna. He's an associate professor of anthropology and sociology at the University of Puget Sound. And for his doctoral thesis, he surveyed more than 100 warehouse workers. He interviewed 21 in depth. He also spent eight weeks himself working at a warehouse. Um, it's very interesting to hear his thoughts on this situation. And Jason, there's been some reporting that has come out. There have been texts that have been published uh, by news outlets suggesting that warehouse workers were not allowed to leave, that delivery drivers were not allowed to stop driving, and that if they did, they could get fired. Now, Amazon has said that these were 
um, you know, these were contractors that worked for them. Again, this is a quote from Amazon. This was a developing situation across a broad geographic area, and unfortunately, the delivery service partner's dispatcher didn't follow the standard safety practice. This dispatcher should have immediately directed the driver to seek shelter when the driver reported hearing tornado sirens. It seems like part of this story is that the people who are part of efforts like Amazon's aren't all Amazon employees. There's a number of, of, of contractors who are also part of this system. How does that affect how things like this shake out? Um, you know, some of the, the legal boundaries are, are really interesting when you look at the different kind of subcontracting relationships. Um, in the case of, of warehouse workers, when you are employed directly by Amazon or by Walmart or Target or something like that, and then you have a temporary agency that employs people on the same shop floor and are technically the employers of record, um, you know, there, there can be some confusion, but it's worth noting that frequently you have what is in the industry called vendors on prem, vendor on premise, where the temporary agency has an office, the warehousing uh, company has an office, and frequently the retailer will have an office in that very same facility. So, uh, you know, the, the, the direction of the labor process in places like that, um, both the both the direct company and the contractor are going to be able to direct people fairly fairly easily and seamlessly. Uh, in the case of the drivers, um, you know, Amazon knows where all of their people are uh, by the use of, of electronic tracking, by the, the different kinds of, of GPS surveillance and, um, and, and quota tracking that they do with the drivers. So uh, even if the dispatcher doesn't tell uh, exactly what to do, they can send a global message that very easily could get people stopped. I don't know if they have that capability, but they could easily build that capability in um, to their sophisticated systems. It's interesting. It doesn't sound like that happened here in Edwardsville. Do you think there would have been pressure on these contractors and on drivers? Again, this whole culture of we got to keep working. Uh, we have deadlines to hit. The margins are slim, so yeah, there's there's going to be pressure. If you're a subcontractor working for a company that, that controls uh, your bottom line, then you're going to be pressuring people to get the, get the last thing delivered uh, or the very next thing delivered. So uh, it, it is part of the culture of just pushing through everything. So you've talked a few times here about this surveillance technology. Amazon seems to know where everybody is, whether that's on the warehouse floor or on these trucks that are out and about. Is that data that could help us understand what happened in Edwardsville that night? I, I think it is. Um, you, you can see where the last scan was with the warehouse worker. Uh, you can see where the last delivery was or when uh, people returned to the work site at, at the delivery center. Um, so those kinds of things, I, you know, as, as OSHA goes through their investigations, as others go through investigations, I think seeing that data would be, would be very helpful. So OSHA maybe should be asking for this. I, I, yeah, I, and I have no idea what that kind of investigation would entail, um, but you, you could definitely, if they can track a, a, an object um, from point A to point B uh, down to the foot um, or, or even smaller region uh, through the scanning systems, we can certainly track the workers who are in those facilities. Mm -hmm. So bigger picture, um, you know, we know from news accounts around the world that people have continued to work through a dangerous heat wave in the Pacific Northwest in these warehouses. People worked through deadly floods from Hurricane Ida. Now we know people kind of kept working through this tornado all up until the final minutes. What do you think it would take for Amazon to shut down a warehouse, shut down delivery routes and just say, hey, you know what, you're not going to get your stuff in time for Christmas. Like we have to deal with this, th these conditions here. It's not safe for people to work. 
I, I just don't think it's in their their DNA to do that. Uh, I, I think when you know Amazon try they, they have a motto of you know the most customer centric uh, company in the world. They they strive to to always meet customer demands. Uh, that means, frankly, putting the workers. Um, on the line, the workers have to meet those demands uh, to, to make it happen for the customer. So, you know, on the one hand, it's very profitable and it, it's admirable in the sense that we get what we want by Christmas. Uh, on the other hand, um, it's not particularly good for human beings to, to work under those kinds of pressures. So we've heard from a number of listeners who say they have some second thoughts um, about their Amazon habit in light of this. And, and for some people, I think what happened that Friday night in Edwardsville was a wake-up call. For other people, they say they were already there. We have a discussion going on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page. If you're interested in joining that, uh, you can just uh, look for St. Louis on the Air on Facebook. You can answer a few questions and, and join the discussion. Kathy writes on Facebook, I don't use Amazon, period. There are alternatives alternatives to lining Bozo's pockets. I assume that's a reference to Jeff Bezos. I don't know for sure. Uh, Kathy adds, paying taxes is a civic duty, a contribution, if you will, to society. I may not always approve of their use, but I pay them, and he doesn't, please. Don writes, I'll use Amazon to compare prices and features, then buy elsewhere, preferably local if possible. It may end up costing a little more, but that's okay. And Katie adds, again, this is on our Facebook conversation, Bezos could do a world of good with his extra money, but continually decides not to. He's also maneuvered his finances in ways that exploit tax loopholes and could use his immense wealth to solve many of our nations and planets problems and existential threats. Instead, he launches himself into low earth orbit for kicks and publicity. Amazon is a monopoly, dangerous to the commonwealth and health and safety of the workers. A lot of people talking about this topic. It'll be interesting to see if that changes anyone's buying habits. Uh, Jason, one of the things people are talking about who actually work in these warehouses is the idea of unionizing. You talk to Warehouse Workers United. What, what kind of effort is going on there? Well, the, when I was doing the dissertation research, they were focused on Walmart and Walmart facilities and Walmart contractors. Um, you know, and the same kinds of things could be said uh, that we, you just read from the comments on Amazon could be said still about Walmart. Um, you know, you know, talking to folks and, and there are other people who are doing more research on the Amazonians United and the different Amazon organizing campaigns across the country. Um, but it, it, it's difficult. It's difficult to, to organize. We saw the failed campaign uh, recently. Um, when you have Tech, when you have workers uh, that are employed by a temp agency working next to workers who are employed by uh, Amazon, uh, you know, there are arguments about who really is the employee and employer, uh, who's eligible for unionizing. It, it, it really is a systemic problem. Um, so uh, I think unionizing could do some great work. The, the Warehouse Workers United folks have taken uh, a different uh, Tack in, in some ways in California, they if they can't organize a particular warehouse, they've they've started focusing on uh, legislation that would make it better for workers uh, in in warehouses uh, across the state. So recently, they they worked on some legislation that uh, prohibited algorithms within the uh, uh, the scanning systems or the, the computer direction systems uh, from prohibiting bathroom breaks. Hmm. Um, so you can't be counted. You can't have anything counted against your quotas uh, if you have to use the restroom by state law now. Um, and that's so something California has done? That's something California has done. And, and the other things that, uh, that uh, Warehouse Workers Resource Center um, 
have done are to put in uh, place or, or to, to get legislation passed that made the temp agencies more liable uh, for wage theft and and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So th there are other ways of organizing uh, that, that can help folks even beyond just shop floor organizing, but that shop floor organizing really is the future of, of what's going to happen mm -hmm. uh, in facilities like this. And that has been a real struggle for unions. Uh, a producer here, my colleague Jane Mather-Glass, she spoke to Danny Kane. He's the owner of Raven bookstore in Lawrence, Kansas, and his time working for a small bookstore in the shadow of Amazon led him to write a book. It's called How to Resist Amazon and Why. This book came out in 2019. And Danny explained to Jane just how far Amazon has gone to try to stop union organizing. Amazon is just desperate to prevent unions from, from forming, to the point that the, the, the most uh, kind of grotesque one for me is they changed the traffic light pattern outside the Alabama warehouse. They worked with the Bessemer, you know, utilities department to change the traffic light so people wouldn't be idling next to each other to share union information. So they'll go, they'll stop at, at no lengths to prevent unions from forming because it's, that would mean the end of the, of being able to push workers this hard. And that is Danny Kane. Again, he's the author of How to Resist Amazon and Why and owns a bookstore in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, Jason Struna, do you think he's right that if unions came into Amazon warehouses, that this would be the end of a lot of these policies that we've talked about, a lot of what makes these jobs so difficult? Yeah, I, I think it would really change the shop floor culture and entirely if workers had a say about what their quotas would be or where, how often they could take breaks to use the restroom or, or the kinds of equipment that they would be forced to use. Um, you know, but th this is a long this is a, a long story in the United States. It's not just Amazon. Walmart's sophisticated at anti-union um, organizing. Uh, so is Starbucks. So are mom and pop shops. Um, the the anti-union sentiment is very high in the United States, um, but workers' sentiment towards unions. Has increased and has been steadily climbing uh, in the U.S. in, in the, the last decade or so. So uh, there's a lot of interest uh, uh, towards union organizing, uh, but there's a lot of resistance. It's a, it's a billion-dollar industry uh, for consultants to help uh, employers prevent unionization movements. Mm -hmm. So thinking about everything that you learned in your time at, at warehouses and what you've learned studying uh, people who work there, you know, there was just a couple things that really stood out to me just looking through your dissertation. One, you talked about people's toenails literally falling out because of how much they're walking. It sounds like this happened to you. I mean, this is, I, I guess it's hard to understate just how difficult this work is. And I wonder if there's some thoughts you'd want to leave our listeners with as they're thinking about this situation in Edwardsville and these distribution centers and warehouses that we all rely on, whether or not we're willing to stop and think about that. Yeah, I guess my final thoughts would be it is ubiquitous. It isn't just Amazon. It's Walmart. It's Target. It's all of the companies that we use have labor practices that are similar. Some are, are better than others. Some are worse than others. Um, but it, it, as I, you know, I, I just want us to think everything around us was handled by a warehouse and distribution center worker in some capacity with, with very few exceptions of, of locally produced goods. Um, so, you know, thank a warehouse worker for whatever Christmas gift you get or holiday gifts you get uh, because someone put that uh, in your hands through the the work that they did and putting their bodies on the line. And for OSHA, as they're contemplating what happened here in Edwardsville, it sounds like you're saying that surveillance data is there. That's where they need to go. Anything else that you would want people to know who, who are investigating what happened here? Uh, I guess the last thing that, that I would want people to know is it doesn't have to be this way. These, these can be uh, workplaces that are humanely um, 
uh, organized uh, by by people uh, that they can they don't have to be dangerous um, they, they don't have to be places uh, where people uh, end up dying whether it's by tornado or it's by forklift accident um, people need to be given the tools that, that they deserve to keep the places safe well Jason Struna I want to thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing your insights thank you so much I've, I've enjoyed it this episode was produced by Jane Mather Glass, with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr and production assistance by Jane. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.